Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. So I've got a seasoned data science veteran here, and we're going to be talking about the crossroads of pretty hardcore data science and kind of more advanced stuff and how it intersects with business strategy. So I've got Vin Vashista here. So how are you doing today, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. So uh, we were just talking off air about um, you've worked across a few different industries, so why don't you just kind of give us a, a breakdown on who you are and kind of where you came from? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> when you say seasoned, like, yeah, spicy, long, 25 <laughs> years in technology overall, started my first business when I was in college. So I, I'm old and been doing this for a very, very long time. 10 years in data science and machine learning, following it from BI analytics to where it is now, uh, Worked with clients over the last 10 years, startups, Fortune 100 companies, mid-sized, just everything, finance, e-com, worked in manufacturing, supply chain. It's been a long, long ride, but my area of focus kind of quickly shifted from just doing data science to the only way I could get anybody to do advanced projects and the projects that weren't like reporting all day, every day was to get in with the C-suite and start talking to senior leadership and senior executives and say, okay, look, this is what you're using data for right now. And it's like one one thousandth of the amount of money that you could be making. And that's how I ended up getting in, getting back into strategy. I got into strategy in 2010 
and published a few things in 2012, 2013. And they got pulled back into strategy because I had to justify the expense and all of the things that you have to do in order to operationalize and monetize data science and machine learning. And now my focus is really heavily on the behavioral side, decision-making side, uh, starting to bring in causal methodology along with the deep learning side of our field, using the two together, more advanced applied research methodologies. And again, you know, some of the highest value use cases that we have in our field are really around strategy and helping the C-suite to make better decisions see further ahead, understand the opportunities and transform the business to support data science and machine learning. I'm doing a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I do one of these intros, I say to myself, maybe I should back down a little bit. Maybe it's time to do less. Yeah. I feel the same way because I've, I've got a consulting agency, a podcast I teach. I'm also, I just launched a a business apprenticeship program, which I kind of wanted to get your take on. Cause I mean, have you ever heard of that concept? You've heard, you've probably heard of like a, apprenticeship for like welders or electricians, but what about in the business space? They don't call it an apprenticeship, but definitely I've heard of a lot of these types of programs that where they're hands-on because that's the big rub, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk to people in the business who say, I'm looking for people with experience and with capabilities straight out of programs. I don't just want academia. I don't just want uh, knowledge of, I want capability capable of delivering, capable of creating. So I think what you're hitting on is exactly that. And there are other programs similar to it. Few in data science, very, very few, really focusing on data analytics, data science and machine learning is kind of combined with, and this is how you do it in the business. Right. Well, I mean, the kind of the theory or the play that I'm making is that All right. So the huge companies, you know, Facebook's, Meta's, whatever, are creating these kind of like real advanced applications. And then it's starting to trickle down to smaller size businesses, but they have no idea. So those like medium to small size businesses are wide open. So what I've realized is I can pitch one of their executives and say, hey, I can help you build out your first analytics project and start building out some infrastructure. And you don't even have to pay for it. I'll have the apprentices pay me to facilitate the program. So it's, um, I think it's a huge opportunity and we're just, we're kind of in beta testing right now with the first, first cohort, but um, the students seem to be really into it because they're solving problems that are actually going to go to a company and be implemented versus just, you know, reading out of a book and here's, here's the methodology. And also what's your take on, cause I, I know she got an MBA. So my MBA was very case studies based. What is your thought on like just studying case studies that have already happened? I have no idea why I got an MBA. I'll be honest. It, has, <laughs> it had an econ focus. So, you know, it was more of a study of economics, learned a lot of the math side of it, a lot of the actual hardcore, how do you do economics when you start getting into behavioral and psychological implications? That's how I got into neuroeconomics and behavioral economics and got really heavy into decision decision support and doing all of the data science to help that side of the field. So my MBA experience was a little different because I pushed into a different direction. But yeah, the MBA side of it, I do not understand why I went to school and got an MBA anymore because strategy is 100% not legacy. And I think if you look at, there was a hard line that analytics and BI really cut 
into strategy, where you have legacy strategy before it was data-driven, analytics-driven, and now model-driven. And then everything else is after. So the case study approach to the MBA is great because you have digital metaphors and strategy metaphors throughout that. And so when I teach it, I use storytelling, I use case studies to explain how we as data scientists actually do this stuff. That's the important piece of an MBA now is understanding how to use data, how to use models, how to create an evidentiary support for strategy so that you're not testing your strategy in production. That's what legacy strategy did. It used case studies. It said, this is how this company did it, or this is how that company did what you want to do. Therefore, do that. And then quickly transform. But by quickly, they meant yearly. Strategy (laughs) moves and business moves way too fast. That doesn't work. Strategy is now adaptive. It's data-driven. It's model-driven in many cases now. Companies are getting close. Like if you look at Facebook, Facebook, Amazon, they look like they're beginning to get to a stage where they are deploying near-dominant strategies. I think we're in a different place now when it comes to strategy. Yeah. So you, so basically what you're saying for layman's terms, because I love how I feel like I'm just like right on the edge of like my understanding because you have a very different vernacular than I do. So I feel like sure. I talk, I put it into like layman's like work like every everyone can understand so essentially like if you're trying out a new strategy you're talking about like beta testing so instead of saying all right here's a model that worked in the past and we're going to try to use this you say oh wait let's come up with a new idea i mean i'm doing this with the apprenticeship program where it's Mm -hmm. like i mean i prove it was really stressful though because uh, it it started this year (laughs) i had one of my podcast fans reach out and said hey i i will do anything to be able to work with you i was like well i've been kicking around this idea in my uh, of putting out like this, this kind of new program, would you want to be kind of, um, customer number one for that? So then I had to figure out how to fill a cohort. So I wanted to put together a cohort of four people. Then I had to figure out, all right, well, is there even a demand for this? So I had to go reach out to my network (laughs) and I, I was building the supply and the demand simultaneously. Um, and I mean, we've had 50 people apply. So I think that we're hitting on, on something that, it's kind of an in-between in the education space because it seems like you have $50,000 college degree or you have like a 999 Udemy course. This like in-between space is kind of uncharted. Like, there's some people dipping their toes. Like I know Maven Analytics is um, putting out together or putting together like a boot camp. And I know the boot camps are just, it's like the wild west right now. I mean, it's just, they vary widely in quality. <laughs> so essentially what you're saying is they're, they're coming up with an idea. It, instead of checking in a year, you check in in six weeks or two weeks or, I mean, it depends on, I guess, how quickly you can get that that signal. But you're testing and validating as you roll out the program. Well, it, you know, what I do is for businesses. And so usually in mid-sized to large companies, Fortune 100 companies, some of these have never, and you, you don't know how many big companies that are over a billion dollars that do not have a strategy function, where really? what they build is just a list of tactics and goals. You know, here's what we want and here's what we're going to do, but there's no strategy connecting it. So they, there are companies out there calling tactics strategy. Technology services providers and technology companies are very guilty of this. 
They'll uh, say, well, we're going to pursue a cloud strategy, but their cloud strategy is hire cloud architects and buy into some sort of a cloud, create some sort of a cloud. <laughs> and that's not a strategy. Those are all tactics. Data scientists do this too. You'll hear chief data officers, chief data scientists who are supposed to be speaking at a strategic level saying, okay, so we're going to hire data scientists. We're going to hire some data engineers and machine learning engineers. We're going to start rolling out uh, projects for internal efficiency. Uh, but that's not a strategy. Those are all tactics. Why are you doing this? <laughs> that's what's missing in businesses. There are even large Fortune 100 companies that are very, very capable strategy company, you know, strategy functions within the company. They don't apply the same rigor to technology. Technology is driving strategy rather than strategy driving technology. Interesting. So you look at this and you're just, it's confusing <laughs> to see how the company has survived and succeeded with strategy. However, when they look at data science, they say, but not here. No, no, no. we're going we're gonna to let the technology tell us what to do. And it doesn't make any sense. So when I talk to clients and I say, this is backwards, they go, yeah, you're right. It is. How'd it get this way? <laughs> so do you have an example of, okay, first of all, I want you to break down the difference between tactics and strategy. So it's, I was about to jump in. I want, I want your. No, go of, ahead. No, no, is, no, you first. Well, no, you're first. I, I'm realizing that I think what I do essentially in my consulting agency is help. I'm trying to think whether what I, all right, let me, let me lay out what I do typically with the, with Silvertone Analytics clients. They will come to me and they say, we got all this data. Um, we're just doing like nested pivot charts. And this is how we're like looking. So what I'll do is I'll put together a, it's like a sales um, interactive dashboard in Tableau. And then they'll see it. All of a sudden they realize, oh, wow, I have all this, this insight in my, in my, like at my fingertips. And then they'll start iterating off of that. Is that, is that just building out the sales dashboard? Is that just a tactic or is that a strategy? That's a tactic. So why are, okay. you, building this, why are you building the dashboard? That's the strategy. Why? Oh, okay. Why Never mind. Actually, we would start with a specific question. Like we want to know, we want to reduce. Why our... that question? Why? Interesting. All right. So I'm, I'm in the learner seat here. How, tell me how I can do better. So I, I don't know that you can. Sometimes you are stuck. And I have to say this, your first few projects, the ones that build trust, that get buy-in, is what I talk about a lot in the class. You take what you can get. You don't start right. out with the uh, Boston Consulting Group approach. You start out with the whatever company you're working with, whatever allies and coalitions you can build, whatever evangelists you can get on your side, whatever teams you can get that realize, oh, this is valuable. And that's how I started my career in 2012. I was just pitching teams and they went to the one that said, yeah, I get it. So that's what you have to do. It's mm. no different than what I was doing a decade ago when nobody knew what data science was. We're still kind of in that same state in many companies. But the best way to start is to start with the C-suite and to ask the big question, why? Why are we doing this? Because that's strategy. When you look at your business model, your business model explains why the company pursues the opportunities it does. Your operating model explains why the business creates value the way that it does. Your technology model explains why it uses technology. And this is something that data science teams should be helping to create. Why data science? Why is data science better 
than an alternative for achieving a particular goal, moving a particular KPI, looking at an OKR, just whatever it is, wherever you start. Why are you doing it this way? Because if you start there, you can then talk to somebody in the C-suite and explain, this is why you should go this way. You know, So here's the opportunity you want to pursue, or here's the KPI that you're looking for. Here's the free cash flow that you need. Here's the growth that you your investors and shareholders expect. Tie it to something in the business and then explain why. Data science, why our technology, machine learning, deep learning, research, whatever it is that you're explaining the value of. Why? Why this instead of something else? Once you begin to speak that way, you can yeah. talk directly to the C-suite and they get it. Instead of they having to be convinced project by project, you don't have to build trust over the course of two years. You can do it over the course of a couple of months. Well, I will say that something that I think is kind of my secret weapon in this space is that I come from a sales background. So I really understand how to get, how to, how to craft a, like a really compelling project. And I mean, a lot of it honestly is just getting them to engage and then see what they're resonating with and then, and then kind of build off of that. Uh, it's funny because we, we just, I'm, I'm live streaming the apprenticeship program on Wednesday nights. Like we're having an extra touch base meeting. Um, and we had someone come in who like participated in the project. And then, uh, he pitched it to one of my friends who works at VF, um, for just pitching the project. And then like my my biggest feedback for him was you went through all the KPIs, the interactivity of the dashboard, the key insights, but you didn't check in with me. It was just like, you went through everything and granted, this is like an, this is a live stream and it's like, he's probably a little bit nervous because there are people watching, but um, yeah, I think that a lot of people get hyper-specific too quickly. Like, and you need to, you need to back it up and start talking because the C-suite, I mean, they're, they, they speak in pretty basic vernacular. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of the data science people have like all of this jargon and it's funny because I don't, I don't really swim in that lane. So it overwhelms me. So I was a little bit, I wouldn't say anxious because I, but like I've talked to a, a few people who are like into machine learning and AI and stuff like that. And it's, it's hard for me to like track sometimes because they're using these terms and I'm just like, uh, what does that mean? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. And I think what you'll understand is there's two, there's two C-suites. There's the C-suite that you see because they're looking at you and they're saying, okay, I'm going to talk, I'm talking to a tactician. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to have to fill in my own blanks. I'm going to have to figure this out myself. I'm going to have to navigate a lot of this mm-hmm. on my own. Some some CEOs and and at that level, you have some who can, most can't. So most get a presentation like, you know, here's the KPIs that we're going to be touching. And they go, okay, I kind of get it. I kind of see the connection between what you say you're going to do and what I'm doing overall. If you turn that conversation around and hear it from my side, where I'm advising the C-suite or they come to me and they say, okay, so here's the presentation that I got. What does this mean? And that's what's happening behind the scenes is you have, and I think most uh, most surveys say that around 60 to 70% of C-suite senior leadership companies in general are trying to figure out what to use data science for. So your, your side of it, you're seeing them say, oh yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great. Why don't we do a little pilot project? But to get to the point where you can monetize is a really long process if you can't connect it to value. Okay, this is interesting because I think we may be, I, I think this might be, I might have just pinpointed the confusion. So are you talking about monetizing like selling data? Oh yeah, selling data and then selling models. Okay, so I'm talking about, I, I am building out analytics infrastructures internally for teams mm-hmm. so they can use that to make better decisions. Yep, and that's that's part of what I do too because you're looking at, that touching core strategy. Okay. You are now, as you begin to make better decisions, you go from guessing about your strategy to having a deeper certainty, having at least an evidentiary support for the decisions you make and then connecting decisions to outcomes so that you're not just making a decision in the dark and saying, well, it looked like it turned out all right, but actually giving them, giving the decision makers insight into the complex systems that they interact with, because that's the, that's the deeper thing that models can do. And that's why we're valuable as data scientists, because we can model business systems, reduce the complexity of interacting and making decisions about those business systems, which are customers, competitors, supply chain, ad performance. I mean, it gets granular. It gets very, very high level too. Once you start giving decision makers that data, once you start teaching them how to make decisions and interact with models to improve outcomes, that's the highest value that we deliver to the business because now you have a data-driven and eventually model-driven strategy. It's adaptive. It reacts very quickly. It's forward-looking. It's prescriptive in that it helps make better decisions. And so now strategy and models are informing decisions, which is critical. Strategies that don't inform decision-making across the enterprise, data that does not inform decision-making across the enterprise, it's pretty useless. Gotcha. Okay. Because I feel like I'm like a, still a little stumped when it comes to – let me see if, I, if, if I'm understanding this right. So building out the sales dashboard is a tactic, but mm-hmm. using um, – enabling the – decision makers with an organization to use data to validate or lower uncertainty. Is that the strategy there? That's a bigger strategy to say, okay. I'm going to quantify what areas our decisions are high quality resulting in outcomes that are optimal or near it versus where are we lacking? Where do our decision-making, can we add the most value? Where can right. we using data, using models, improve decisions? How much yeah. of the business do we actually understand? And, you know, that's another piece of what you do. Businesses don't generally understand how they operate. 
And that's kind of yeah. scary, but it's just reality. Yeah. And data is that first, first, you know, when you say you're building the infrastructure, you're starting to gather data to help the business understand itself. And that's step one. Without that, I mean, how do you do any of the advanced stuff? No, yeah. And the thing is, um, I I don't know if any of these companies that I'm working, I, I did just sign my first billion dollar client. Um, but everything, yes. before, every, yeah, everything before, since then has been 250 million or less. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they're ever going to even get to that like data maturity model where they're using, you know, algorithms or machine learning, maybe, but, um, I think just having, so I've, I've had one client in the manufacturing space where I, it, it's interesting. So getting back to the MBA, I turned my last MBA internship into my first consulting client and they paid me on retainer for the past five years. Nice. So what I what I'm doing is I'm just managing their system in the back end, and then we've like slowly we we've, we've got like the kernel of that. Um, essentially, let me let me like kind of scope out the project. It was a, it was the internship designed for someone who was probably like a junior or a sophomore in undergrad, and they mm -hmm. were like, we want you to um, pull the data from our um, ERP system and and build out two line reviews. So I showed up to that interview with an alternate pitch. I could say I said. Hey, if you over this three month period, I can, I can build you out some Tableau infrastructure that will scale this up to all all of your assortments, and it'll run. It'll be semi automated. I'll have to update it, but from your end, it'll the data will just be there whenever you need it for everything. So that was kind of the I built that out over that three month period, and they just have paid me on retainer since then, and we've gotten into competitive intelligence, and then like just it's it's it started with that kernel, and it just kind of grew out, but. Um, it's interesting seeing, I know that they're using it cause like sometimes like, I don't know, I've, I've been doing it for five years. There's been like three or four times where I was like late on updating it and they're like, Hey, we need this now. <laughs> so they're actually using it to, to yep. make their decisions. And, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's really powerful. Um, but it's, yeah, it, they had no idea. Hey, we, we have this, this capability and we can, we can use this technology to, well, with, um, it's funny because we've actually got John Weininger here. So he's a, an a analytics manager over at Home Depot. So he's like right in the space with, with my client. Yep. Um, and Home Depot is doing way more advanced stuff than I. I mean, they're doing like, but it's Home Depot. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> exactly what would you expect? <laughs> so it is the amount of opportunity that's out there. It's just, it's just wild because it sounds like you work with bigger, bigger organizations though. Yep. And that's, you know, it's interesting. Everyone at the very beginning of this was a large company, billion dollar plus. And so the only clients really available who were doing more advanced work, that was it. So until about 2017, 2018, the only people interested in doing what I was talking about doing, actually implementing more complex models, monetization, where you were selling, you're going from selling technology to selling data to selling models to to actually selling inference and so monetization is just a fancy word for selling and all of the stuff you have to do up front in order to actually do that and those are all billion dollar plus companies and so my until 2017 all of my companies were either startups where i was doing advisory on how to build a, a, a machine learning product machine they had a, a lot of great acronyms back then <laughs> <laughs> we were making up terms to, to pitch investors. It was pretty amazing. But before, you know, aside from that, it was all multi-billion dollar companies. And then 2017, 2018, it was like all of a sudden, everybody 
decided, okay, if we don't do this now, we're going out of business. We are going yeah. to have somebody just come in and crush us. And I think there was just some sort of realization right around then. And then COVID hit and then everything accelerated. Now it's just, I mean, everyone is looking for ways to grow because growth, easy growth's gone. As soon as the inflationary cycle started, easy growth disappeared. Now everything's difficult. So companies yeah. used to be able to just kind of go on autopilot and revenue would grow, you know, rising tide and all that. Now it's not like that anymore. And you're seeing, if you look at like the earnings this quarter, you're seeing companies, it doesn't matter if your earnings this quarter are awesome or not. If you guide lower, looking out to, you know, one quarter, one year, if your guidance goes down, your stock gets crushed. I mean, there's companies losing 25, 30%. Right wow. after they release earnings. It's crazy. You got down, you're done. I mean, it's just, it's like a death sentence now. And these companies now just across the board are saying, all right, so you're telling me I can grow. I can actually get some free cash flow within the next two, three quarters from machine learning. Okay, how? That's where we are right now. That's why the strategy side's so important because, you know, and it's that stat I threw out there about 60% of companies are still trying to figure out how to use data science. The majority of initiatives are cost savings initiatives. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the companies that are succeeding with data science and machine learning, it's the ones who are now producing, who are now monetizing and generating new revenue streams. And there are companies that are, I think it's something like 30 or 40% of companies now are making at least 10 per, uh, yeah, at least five or 10% of their revenue from machine learning from data science and machine learning products or features. And so it's something, I think it's something like 10 or 20 that's making wow. over 10% of their revenue with that. But there's at least 40% that are making, I think it's 5% of their revenue. And it's, it's getting to the point where you either are and you're generating new opportunities and free cash flow from machine learning based products or you're facing sort of this cliff where you're going to get crushed at some point because you're challenged to find new opportunities for growth and you're not maturing fast enough. At a point very soon, probably within the next 18 months, the businesses who haven't made that move, haven't made the transition, they're going to start dying off. I call this the great yeah. machine learning die off. It's going to be to the point where companies who have made the change are so far ahead that there yeah. is no catching up. That is fascinating. Um, and because we, we, we talked about that a little bit in my MBA program about just like competitive advantage and mm -hmm. first mover advantage. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's hold on, Dr. Hall from high point university who I, I taught there there last year said, um, Competitive advantages of yesterday mm -hmm. uh, become the things that put you out of business if you don't have it. Yes, like, yes. like you've, you've got to adapt, um, which is which is fascinating. All right, we've been collecting our chat, so let me All pull right. some let's, of these chats. Let's go to it. So, yep. Dustin, welcome. Incar, I say we, we've already pulled in John, and it's funny because I've, I've got linked up pulled over on my second screen. John's <laughs> sending me messages and I can see them popping up. So John Wendiger <laughs> is a data science manager over at Home Depot. And he's been in that, that manager position for seven months. 
Um, yeah, he, he said everything Ben is saying demonstrates years of experience and likely mastery in his domain. It's funny he see me he wow, see me read it you. and typing it out. Thank you. <laughs> typing out more. Um, and then Matt Bratton is a, a VP over in California, so yep. he does. Uh, he's an analytics VP for a software company. So we've got an interesting group of people. Kind of, it's it's funny because I think having you on has has weeded in kind of the more senior people to where I think a lot of the like early stage people who are looking to get into this might be a little bit intimidated, but you're, you're putting together content for mm-hmm. people trying to break into the space. I wish I, I had um, one of my apprentices on, cause he is, he, it's a fascinating story. He, he's kind of case study one for the apprenticeship program. He's a probation officer up in um, Arlington, oh, wow. Virginia. And I, he literally said he got punched in the face the other day. <laughs> Whoa! Okay. Yeah. So, Different uh, <laughs> life experiences than I'm having right now. Well, what's fascinating is that he's never really touched anything. Like, I, he's working double time. He's probably work, studying two or three hours a day to get caught up with the rest of the cohort. But I'm just watching him just like, I mean, he's hungry. And I, I think the people that I'm going to be targeting are, are people who are trying to transition. So they've gotten out of mm-hmm. college. Because I think most people in college right now are kind of slumbering their way through it. And I can say that teaching across two different universities, it's, uh, I don't know why we like baby our youth. College has like become like adult, early adult daycare almost. (laughs) I don't think it's their fault either. It seems like academia has done this to itself. That's really the, you know, and then they blame the kids and then they blame the students for it. It's like, wait, no, (laughs) you're in control. The kids aren't in control. They don't, you know, there's no provost who's 20. They don't exist. Your your dean of whatever it is is not fifteen, you know, and trying to get into school or twenty two. These are people who are doing it to themselves, and we're hobbling in academia. We're hobbling ourselves yeah. by really pandering to more of a narrative than we are to a need. And so I don't think as much of this babying is due to students or due to what students want. Because when I talk to people who have just graduated, they are hungry. They are ambitious. They are intelligent, but they're looking for a different type of relationship with work. And that's what we should be pandering to. Mm -hmm. That is what we should be targeting and supporting is it's a new relationship to work. It isn't an easier. I mean, I talk to people who are hustle. I mean, all yeah, day. Yeah. I work like you six, know, seven willing days a to week. put in the work. Yeah. I mean, I, I've worked pretty much nonstop since I got into consulting because mm-hmm. it's, there's just, well, I mean, yeah, I, I do get, it's funny because I'll get burnt out and I'll just push through, which I, you know, probably not the greatest thing, but I'm, but there's so much opportunity right now where it's like, because yep. um, I mean, and I'm, and I'm starting to think kind of more at the macro level of what are the trends that are happening? Well, number one, mm-hmm what you just hit on, I think there's massive decay in the higher education space. Yep. So, um, and it, it's funny because I've actually, I turned down opportunities for much larger colleges to work at Greensboro college because I'm on their board and I can actually advise, like I helped them create a whole minor program over the last three years that I'm now teaching. Um, so I, it's small enough that I'm like nimble and I can start to like roll out programs and then test things that, I mean, you know, a North Carolina, run state schools not gonna i don't think they're gonna be willing to take risk like that and also there's this all this red tape but you hit on something that was interesting uh, have you heard of jonathan height he wrote the book called the coddling of the american mind 
No, no, I haven't heard okay, that. Okay, so he's a he's an NYU professor, and yeah, essentially we're we're treating our children like they're like they're eggs, like they're or like they're made mm-hmm. of glass, and I think that it's robbing them of just growth. Like you, if you are constantly laying on the couch and not working out, you're not going to get strong. Yeah. And we're we're just so, I don't know. Like all the like the you've heard of like safe spaces where they have like bunnies playing on the TV screen and beanbag chairs. The kids get stressed out. You know, but I look at that. That's not a problem. You know what I what mean? mean? Creating a safe space is good. Creating a supportive environment for learning and understanding that people are stressed, have significant amounts of anxiety because they're living a life that our professors don't understand because they didn't live. That. Okay. You know, there are none of that's bad. What's bad is when we, I think it's infantilizing overextend. Yeah. I think when we overextend that into challenges, when we over, and that's, I think our fault and I'm a Gen Xer. So I kind of sit in between, you know, and I, I don't know, I feel like a layer of translation because I get both sides. I get the boomer mentality and I also get the millennial mentality. And like, what's what's the millennial mentality? Well, I get the warned you are talking to a millennial here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get the the need for a new relationship with work. That's what I call it. There's a new relationship that we have with work. There's a new relationship we have with each other. And those are, when you look at it from a macro, zoom out, millennials are redefining their relationship with power. That's what's happening. Millennials are redefining their relationship with power and saying, look, dear politicians, we give you power, not the other way around. You are not in control. We are. And when they look at work, it is very similar. It's a very similar dynamic. Our work is what gives you wealth. We deserve a fair share of that. We deserve to work in more reasonable ways that allow us to have a share, not only of the profits, but also a share of life because we don't work to live. That's not the relationship that millennials have with work. It is a completely redefined relationship with power. And it is saying, yeah. look, there are way more of us than there are of you. <laughs> we aren't asking for anything crazy. We're just asking for our fair share. And that gets a lot of people scared because it is a completely new understanding of how power is given how much power is given and it's that's why the boomers are so scared of it because it is so foreign to them yeah to think about it but if they look at millennials as their kids all of a sudden it changes the way they think about it like it should be easier for their kids that's what we've all been working for is to give kids a you know better life than we had so I it think should this be is the easier. first generation though where it's that's not the case at least in America well, I think I think when you personalize the message, it is. When you get out of the echo chamber, you talk to people one-on-one and you say, look, these are this is the next generation of Americans. It should get easier. It shouldn't get harder. That's not the point. The people who fought World War II didn't want your lives to get harder. They didn't want you to have to fight wars too. They fought that war so you wouldn't have to. They built infrastructure so that you could build all the amazing things you have. And you built infrastructure so that millennials could build all the amazing things they have. 
That's the point of this. We're supposed yeah. to be making things easier and better. And people should be working less, not more. We shouldn't be working 60 to 80 hours a week. We're looking for trying to get people to work 20. That's okay. where we should be moving people. Well, okay. So this this is an interesting concept that I've thought a lot about. This, this concept of work-life integration mm-hmm. to where, okay, so the podcast is big enough now that I'm like starting to get recognized like at the gym and there's a significant <laughs> amount of people like in Greensboro who listen to the podcast. I've started going out and like organizing, like going out and getting drinks. And that's like, it's networking, but it's also social, but it also mm-hmm. serves a business sense for me. And that like, I'm building that community that we were, we were talking about off air. And it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like work, but in some senses it is work mm-hmm. though, but it's almost like it's been integrated with my whole lifestyle, like my whole setup, mm-hmm. um, which I am working I, this is probably the hardest I've ever worked, but it I'm not it doesn't feel like a struggle as much. It's well, like I'm being pulled, I'm being pulled versus being pushed, if that makes any sense. Well, right, but you're building equity for yourself. Yeah. And that's the that's the millennial mentality. That's the right. hustle mentality. Is don't build equity for someone else, build equity for yourself. And if you're right. working for a company, you see this a lot in technology, there is a share of equity. The majority of data scientists' compensation now is often in stock grants. It's often in bonuses based on business performance. It's all, you know, and so it's a share. That's the concept. Right. Is while I'm creating equity for the business, the business is also creating some of that equity for me. Well, it and is. That's the new concept. Yeah, because you can't. You gotta. You gotta separate yourself from exchanging money for time mm-hmm. that's how you can like actually start to build scalable income yes so i mean it, and it kind of this goes full circle to kind of like what you're talking about like monetizing mm-hmm. data yep. to where like and, th- and see that's what i've realized with the consulting on my end is that i am burnt out on consulting because it's mm-hmm. very detail-oriented work and it's stressful in a way i mean it's 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 kind of fun in that like i get to work across all these different industries and i have to solve complex problems but at the same time, I'm a little bit worn, which is part of the reason why I wanted to like take these leads and just say, all right, apprentices, you guys are young and hungry and full of energy. You go figure it out. Like I'll, I'll, I'm giving them like that one month of um, like education beforehand. So they've got the tools, but I've been shocked at the ability of my students to figure out complex problems. And it's, it's almost like, um, so we, we're just going into spring break this um as, as of today, my, all my students are in spring break, but um, class yesterday, I have, I have them working on a pretty complex project with one of my former clients where they're combining uh, HubSpot data, Google Analytics, and Salesforce data. So we're having to figure out how to combine all those data sources together. And it's, it felt like we were just like playing on this. Like I had to like whiteboard it out and had mm-hmm. all these questions, but I mean, they got so into that because it's like... It, I think the typical professor professor model is here are the concepts I'm going to dictate to you the truth of the matter. So we, mm-hmm. we're here. I'm like, I don't know. We got to figure this out. And we're, we're working on it together and it's collaborative. Well, and that's where, you know, I talk about this in my Substack a lot. Great data science starts with a question. Mm-hmm. And you have to then take that question, break it down into smaller questions. And the great thing about the causal framework is, you know, here's the data you have. That's what you know. Here's your question. This is what you want to know. 
And if you use causal approaches, you can, with those two, figure out if you have enough knowledge to answer your question, if you have enough data to actually start to understand the causal relationships and do a little bit of causal discovery, begin to create those deeper connections. That's why I say it's so important for us to be working with senior leadership in the C-suite, because they're trying to understand the causes behind the way that their customers buy, the causes behind the way that customers adopt products, the causes behind how their competition decides which markets to enter and where, how to set their prices. And all of this is a very, very complex market. And the complexity is too much for any individual in the business to handle. There's too much. But data science models can begin to manage the complexity within the model and then present to senior leadership and this is what you're talking about with the dashboard. You're beginning to break down the complexity that people work in. And you're presenting data to them from this very complex system. And then you measure their decisions. What did they decide? And these are decision chains that go from one end of the business all the way down to the front lines. You got to follow this decision chain all the way down. Find out what the outcome was. And then say, okay, this is what happened. What could have happened? What was the best possible outcome that we could have had? And then you go all the way back and you say, okay, we're going to provide you different data this time. Now, it's almost like an A-B test. I'm going to provide you different data. This is based on my new model of these complex business systems, customers, competitors, uh, pricing, whatever, whatever it is, supply chain, and it's across the business. Based on my better understanding, because while you've been making decisions, I've been improving models. <laughs> I've been I've been at work in the lab to try to get these models yeah. to be better. And I understand the relationships. I understand some of the causal mappings better now. So here's some new data. Let's see what happens. With this new data, do your decisions get better? And this is the, the faster the business learns. And this is the strategy side of it. This concept has been around forever. The businesses that succeed, that grow the fastest, learn the fastest, adapt the fastest. So mm-hmm. it is really learn, adapt, and implement, and then teach. And then go back, and it's a feedback loop where it just never stops. And your data is now, your models are now part of that. They are part of the learning, the applying, and the teaching. Interesting. Which, being nimble like that is really tough, the larger oh, yeah. your organization scale. It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's I'm a startup right now. I'm like a little tugboat. Yep. I can just weave in and out to where, I mean, IBM, for them to like pivot their strategy. I mean, it's like a big, it's like the Titanic trying to shift that. I mean, it just, it's, it's, but look it's at how huge. fast Microsoft did it. Microsoft went from we're in trouble to we are cloud first to we are AI first. And Satya Nadella took them there. He, he implemented everything from a transformation standpoint that was necessary because he saw it. He, he saw the blueprint. That's really impressive. It's funny because I, I feel like if this were six months ago, I wouldn't have like this would wouldn't have triggered that with me. But so one of my former business partners is now the, the president of a, a company here in town, and he's yeah he's come in and just completely changed the culture. Mm-hmm. That is it is like being a savvy politician, yep. like being able to garner the trust and the faith mm-hmm. of people, and then having them actually act out your vision. That is that's a, a strategic leader. Yes, that is a huge because because I asked him, I was like, "Hey, what's what's your secret?" And he said, "Number one, it's culture. Mm-hmm. We've got to get the right people in who have the right attitude um, and who are kind of aligned with 
with with one on one, and then number two was structure. Um, I can't remember number three. Oh man, this was this conversation was a while ago, but really mm-hmm. that whole cultural conversation was was fascinating to me. Of well, that's core to transformation. Yeah, yeah, and well, it's interesting because like I, I I feel like all I've been doing is just scrambling in the moment trying to figure out problems or I'm not gonna be able to pay rent. And that's been like the last five years for me. Reactive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Reactive. Yep. Yeah. I've been reactive to where like now I've got a stable base income from some of my mm-hmm. passive revenue streams. And also I have, you know, the income stream stacking up to where I can have something come at me. And it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, it slows it down to where mm-hmm. I could go this way or I could go that way, but I pause and think about it in real, in, like in real time, during yes. during talks which is um yes i'm starting to that see is it now strategist that yeah, is I'm a strategist coming out <laughs> because the first thing that strategy does is it enables you to consider opportunities and decide first and this is where you are in the strategy mindset you've gone from it's right in front of me therefore it is right for me to it's right in front of me now i'm going to evaluate the opportunities that are coming to me i'm going to look at them and say what is the best opportunity. The next thing you're going to do is say, okay, I've got an evaluation framework now. I'm looking at my personal strengths and weaknesses. And every time I see a strength, that tells me that these are the opportunities that -hmm. are best aligned with my strengths. And these opportunities are actually aligned with weaknesses. So I shouldn't do these. I shouldn't go after these. Then you begin to look at threats because once you have money, you have to be concerned with not losing it. This is a business cycle. Now you have to look your weaknesses create threats. How do you create mitigation strategies? And so now you're looking at opportunities that are presented to you. You're looking at threats that suddenly become apparent to you and understanding their connection to weaknesses. And now you have a bit of a way to create a strategy and SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. It's old, old framework that yeah. you can use. I remember it. And what's coming up next? is you're going to start creating opportunities for yourself. And you're going to use data because you understand this. You're going to use data to find opportunities that are not obvious. And then you're going to start using data to create strategies to figure out how exactly you should go after those opportunities. Not just how could you, how should you? What are the best ways for you to go after it? What are your best operating models? How can you best align value creation, your value stream, yeah, with those opportunities that you want to create for yourself? Well, and okay. Then, I think then we're getting, you're there. I think we're getting then high level. Yeah, yep. we're we're getting high level. Um, I can actually kind of t- like, I I'm open to like kind of talking about it ex- like explicitly, yep. like where I'm at, to where um, the specific conversation I was having was with. So I. I reached out to a former client of mine who's a CFO, and he mm-hmm. introduced me to a company. Uh, it's, not, it's not a company. It's a collective of fractional CFOs in town. So there are 15 of them, and they've got 100 businesses between them that they all they all advise. Um, so right now, I'm trying to figure out how can I get access to those 100 businesses. So mm-hmm. I've, I've met with two of the 15, and I was at lunch with one of the CFOs last week, and they are in the position where they might hire their first analyst. Mm-hmm. and he he asked me a specific question and i remember thinking like it's almost like time slowed down i was like do i mm-hmm. want to try to pitch him hey let's do an uh, let let me try to place one of my analysts 
for in your company for a revenue split or do I want to charge you a maintenance fee to manage your analytics once the apprentices have built it out? So it's like, so I ha- I'm gonna back, what I'm going to back you up and pretend okay. I'm advising one of my startups. Okay. So why didn't you know that going in that that question was coming up? No, I did. Right. But why weren't you prepared if time slowed down and you weren't and you I was didn't prepared. know? I had like, I thought about it. Um, no, but you were thinking about it in the time, not advanced. You should have already oh, been there. Oh, no. Okay. So I was like, here are the two options. I mm-hmm. need to figure out what is a better fit for them. And right, it's but why like, didn't you know? Why didn't you know going in? Because uh, we had just had like an email exchange. Right. But before. you know the company, right? You know which company it was. Yeah, but I... I and you understand probably, competitive intelligence. You know how to do that background research, right? Um, That's interesting. Uh, I don't think I'm like well well versed in that. Like how how yeah. would kind of competitive intelligence what would that look like? Mm-hmm. You would have so you can do some research, and you can look at the company from a few different dimensions depending upon whether it's public company, private company. What do they publish externally? What information is out there about them? What can you learn about where they're going right now? And look at the available sources of data. You know this is what we do. This mm-hmm. is and that's what kind of helped me understand the power of data is because I came into strategy from the competitive intelligence, competitive analysis perspective. And it's all about finding data sources. It's all about finding that gold. And I talked about this on a different, uh, different show where there was Walmart is going into figuring out how to monetize ad revenue. They're looking for growth. And one of the opportunities they've identified is by leveraging ads. And Amazon's been really successful with this. I think they make over 30 billion a year now working with ads and now Walmart's trying to get from 5 billion to, but the Are way that buying ads or selling ads, selling ads. Oh, on their, like you go to walmart.com. Yep. Interesting. Huh? And so they are now, you know, that's a new monetization strategy. Right. So, and they're monetizing their platform in a new way. So they're, and you know, using machine learning, obviously there, there's machine learning under the covers of this platform. This platform is now leveraging the same models over and over again. And I talk about this a lot where the same model, is now a capability. And that capability can be monetized in different ways. And they realize that their models can also serve ads on their platform so they can monetize this model in a new way. Mm-hmm. And the way that the community found out about that is they were looking at their job postings. And all of a sudden, they started hiring a whole lot of people with backgrounds in ads, you know, from analytics, data science, but also people who had experience from other companies selling ads on their platform and building out this side of the business. And that was competitive intelligence. You know, if you have access to data, you can understand your customers before you have that meeting. And that's what I've been really successful with as far as pitching large companies. And I say this now, and it's kind of one of my competitive advantages is, yeah, you can, you know, you can send me the background information. I already have it. You wouldn't want to hire me if I didn't already know what you needed. Because you're yeah. hiring me to answer questions you don't know how to ask yet. That, that's you don't know to ask yeah. the question yet. So I better know what you need before I show up in that first meeting or you're hiring the wrong person. And so yeah. that's where, you know, if I was advising you as a startup advisor, a startup founder, I'd say, why didn't you know? Why didn't you walk into that meeting more prepared? Because that's what your clients are going to start to expect. You have yeah. the data. You tell them that you can predict things. How could you not predict how that meeting went or how this basic opportunity was going to present itself to you. 
Why didn't you know more? Well, a few things. Well, number one, mm-hmm. well, this is a brand new beta test. So this is mm-hmm. literally the first p- potential partner business that I've talked to. So I'm trying to get a feel. I mean, there's there's a lot of factors. So number one, mm-hmm. should we target apprentices in person to then place them full time? And then what we can do is just negotiate, hey, if you hire one of our analysts, we'll get a, we'll get a percentage of year one revenue. Or what I could do, another option is uh, you'll get your your analytics infrastructure, the first bit of it built out for free, and then we'll we'll just charge you a maintenance fee, and you'll get a pricing set amount model. of hours. Yeah. So you don't and have a pricing model yet. What? How do you build a pricing model? Right. That's well. That's something I've got to think through. Like we're we're still yep. kind of in that like incubation. Well, but that's data. Phase. You can gather data about how your customers would react to one pricing model versus another. If right. you want to go customer back, which is kind of sounds like what you're doing is you're doing market research mm-hmm. while you're trying to get business. Why not do it in advance and decide why you would go with one versus the other, which one plays to your strengths, which one plays to the market need best, which right. one will position you, which one will give you a competitive advantage, which one, you know, and so there's this, you can go market backwards but you can also go from a value perspective. Like we can create value in this way. And that lends itself most to one particular pricing model versus another. You could even go subscription. You could go tiered. You can, I mean, there's just so many pricing options. And again, it's data. You're going out and gathering the data and deciding from a strategy standpoint, what data do you need? Because you can go from business model forward because you've already identified the opportunities that you want to pursue. And you're saying, these are the ones I should pursue. These are the best opportunities for me to pursue based on all of these opportunities that I have available to me. And you've used data to figure out what opportunities are available. You've used data to understand your customers' preferences. How do they want to pay for this? What is the driving need? And how much value can you give to them? When you talk about marketing, how is their language structured? such that when you present to them, it aligns with their strategy, their language, and they understand your pricing model based on what they're going to get, their ROI. Mm-hmm. And the strength of their need drives your pricing model because it adapts best either to your business model or to your customer's perception of value. Think, so you can yeah. see how you know, you've got multiple ways to build a pricing strategy out. Yeah. And what you're doing right now is kind of beta testing. Right. So I'm beta testing testing. the MVP right now to see if I even have a pretty baby, so to speak, because it might, it might, you know, I mean, I, I, a surprise problem that I had is that one of the the students dropped out of the program because she got an analytics job. So it's like, Mm -hmm. is that a win? Is that a loss? I mean, we're only one month into it and then there's two months left of the program, but she's already got the job. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's multiple, there's like multiple um, factors like, all right, who should we target? Who, how, sh- who should we be filtering into the program? Because we've got two who are really strong right now who are kind of that transitioner demographic where they're in their mid twenties, they've hit a plateau in their job and realize like, I call it the quarter life crisis. Mm-hmm. They've gotten out of college. Yep. They've woken up from that slumber and they're, mm-hmm. they've landed them- themselves in a job that is underpaying them and it's just not engaging. So we're giving them an option to potentially make a whole lot more money and actually use their brain mm-hmm. and, and and enjoy the work that they're doing. Um, so that's kind of the supply there. Um, 
it's interesting about that point about um, you said tiered pricing because mm-hmm. within that um, CFO collective, they have a very wide range of clients all, all the way up from like 250 million. I think the client I talked to was 50 million in revenue. So I don't think they're going to be able to afford a $2,500 a month retainer fee. So, so now you have to figure out how yeah. to service that market. Right. Yeah, Tam, total addressable market. Sam, your sample addressable market. And Sam, your sample optimal market. I'm messing that last one up. I always do. Uh, but you're looking at your your segmentations now. And this is, again, we're back to data. This is right, what we right. do for companies is you're trying to get an idea of your segmentation, but you're mm-hmm. doing it on the fly. And, and this yeah. is why, and you can hear kind of, I'm speaking a different language to you. I'm speaking to you from like a different place of strategy where I'm giving you startup. See, yeah, like I'm in the VC startup type phase, advice. which is different than probably your, your, well, do you, do you get paid for that? Or is that just like volunteer? Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Come on. Free. No, I charge you to be there. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Well, I mean, but yeah, there's I, monetization I guess, across the board. Yeah. Are these like, are they, are they post, are they, are they funded? Um, some of them are funded. Some of them are just getting out of friends and family. Okay. I think that's, is friends and family still the, are we still using that word? Yeah, I think we're still using friends and family. So two of them were just exiting friends and family, trying to get series A and they skipped seed. Typically these guys skip seed now. Cause you know, if you have enough friends and family money, you get to the point where you have revenue coming in. And the only reason why you need series A is so that you can scale. So you've got something that's actually on the way towards profitable or profitable. Right. And I've done two where they were going after series B. So it was a little later stage and they were companies that were going from, you know, a a more traditional SaaS product to a machine learning. And so they were doing a really early pivot, but they saw opportunity in the marketplace to jump ahead of some of their larger competitors. And so that was, uh, those are the four companies I've done advisory for. And it's really, uh, it's, it's talking to them in a way that a VC typically would. And so instead of them going into a VC meeting and getting shot down because they don't have everything in a, in a row, they get to talk to me once or twice a week and I shoot them down when, you know, they're not losing any cash over it. So it's funny you say that. So I went through Greensboro, uh, Greensboro's Chamber of Commerce Incubator Program. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I've gotten all the like startup, I guess, yep. tutelage of like total addressable um, sample addressable market. Yep. Um she no longer has holes to punch in my strategy because it's like yep. outside of her space. Um, so that, maybe we could talk about that off air of like um, potentially like, maybe hiring you to, to help me uh, hey, work. Through hey, some maybe. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we yeah, monetize everything. We're all over the place. Well, because I need, um, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm in this blue ocean with this like kind of, yep. Because I've had, I think, around 600,000 people take my LinkedIn courses. So I'm getting mm-hmm. leads come in from that. Yep. Um, but it's it's interesting, like, seeing how the whole LinkedIn learning thing works. It's edutainment. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a sitcom combined with analytics. And it's yep. it's really fun and upbeat, but it's not very informative. <laughs> you know? And it's like you get a nice, nice little shiny badge, but it's um, it's casual, I would say. You yep. know? To where like a, and I would even say college is kind of casual at this point too. Like a, like a serious program where you go in, um, because I'm, I'm, 
I went through, I would say like the hardest version of that to where I had to figure out these um, data science or analytics problems or I don't get paid and I'll pay rent. Right. I think that's probably too, too hardcore. I, I don't think most people have a stomach for that. And I mean, honestly, like I paid a price with my, like my mental health and sleepless nights and that kind of stuff, which yeah. I didn't factor real, that isn't in. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's real. Yeah, Starting yeah, a business yeah. is real. Absolutely. So <laughs> I don't understand I, that. Well, because, and it's something that I think is missing in, in education is kind of that pressure or that or the the hot seat, I don't know. It, it just seems lackadaisical. It's the reality. You know, and I, yeah. I posted something about this a while ago. I said, if you know, if college were going to teach you to really do, we would have production environments and real world problems being solved in college. College itself would be run like an educational institution, but at the same time, it would have a business facing wing. Because think about it, you have this armada of talent and they can solve some of the most complex problems from a research standpoint. That's your master's and PhD programs. Yeah. Why then partner with a business when you can partner with your undergrads and, you know, the low level grad students who are still working towards their master's programs. Why wouldn't you just partner with them and start building stuff? That's and literally that's what I'm doing program. in my yeah. capstone course. That's your program. Yeah. You know, have the academic side of it where you are teaching but force students to put stuff into production and watch it blow up. <laughs> Let it die because yeah, there's you not learn so much. You well, learn so much. Okay, that's that's what I was talking about with the safe state, the safe space stuff. It's like yeah. it feels just too soft, and it's not not that you want to be brutal. Like you don't want to be like I don't know, throwing them into like a live fire. Like you don't you don't want them no, no, to no, no 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 yeah. But I mean, you want to get an F. Some scaffolding. What? No, you want to get an F because you you deployed something to production without reading the requirements doc. You know, like you want to get an F for that. Yeah. And we need to stop making Fs so fatal. You know what I mean? Because if you get an F, like people drop out of college because they got an F. And we need to make it so that getting an F, if you get an A afterwards, that F goes away. Because that was a learning experience. Sometimes you have to get an F to break you out of the paradigm. You're hitting on of, the real, the real inflation. Yeah. The real inflation that's going on in our country is great inflation. <laughs> everybody gets A's now. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, <sighs> not everybody. No, there. believe me, there's some people getting, you know, F's because they, they were not built for college or college. Yeah, but, they, but that is after three or four or five, like, retry like or or graces you know like like they're letting and a lot of okay maybe not in like the top tier schools but especially with some of these like middle to lower end yeah it's and it's 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 frustrating because it's it it makes everyone else's it kind of devalues the degree i mean unless you've got like a name brand school then that's the problem is that you know like i said the f is fatal and we talk about this in business a lot. I I say this, you have to create an environment where it's safe to fail. And as a leader, Mm. I have to create safety nets. If a project fails, doesn't matter if I had nothing to do with it. I didn't create the safety net. I didn't set the team up for success. I got to learn something as a leader about creating safety nets for my people so they can fail, but no one ever knows. And that's, you know, I joke sometimes, you know, your leaders like the the men in black where, 
these horrible things are happening, but no one knows outside of the team that, you know, catastrophe was a day away. No one knows because you have a leader who's sitting there watching, who is capable of bringing other people in to help and creating a safety net so that you fail. You understand why you failed. There is an environment where we don't blame you. Why? Because no one's ever going to know except for us. And that's where, that's the safety. And as long as you learn, just don't make that mistake again. You know, if you make that mistake twice, you and I are going to have a conversation because how did you not learn? Right. How did you not see something catastrophic happen and then do it again? You know, that's where I hold people accountable. But the other side of that is as a leader, and we don't teach leadership enough in data science and really in technology in general. As a leader, my job is to make sure everyone on my team at any point during the project can fail and no one ever knows. Yeah. And I think there's also this concept of failing forward Mm -hmm. to where like I I launched over the summer, I built out my own learning platform and then spent, I sunk $3,000 over a four month period. Guess how many sales I got from that marketing? Yeah. Yep. That hurts. And and it was like, oh, I totally thought that um, I was differentiated from the market, but it's Mm -hmm. like, no, everyone sees your, sees your course the same as a LinkedIn learning course or Udemy course, except it's 10 times the price point to where it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so I took that same structure that I had built and then, all right, let's go deeper into the differentiation by spinning up this apprenticeship program. So then I took all of that. I could, I could have just scrapped that and said, all right, well, I'm out, you know, had to pay a developer to build out the website and all the subscriptions. And it's like, no, let's just pivot into this pivot forward into this uh i mean but this is kind of getting into like well i guess do big businesses do that i was going to say it's it's a startup thing no big everybody does this yeah you see and that's the thing if the big business is doing it well it doesn't have a zillow moment like zillow is going to fail forward but they failed publicly so when you look (laughs) at that that's why i say like that was a leadership failure more than anything else how did you let that happen how did you let it get that far? And that's why I say we have a leadership problem often because failing forward is normal. We call that iterating. And right, inside right. of a business, adaptability is, you know, it's that learning and adaptability. Mistakes will be made, but you need to quickly learn from them. And that mistake can't be fatal to the person who makes it, but also to the business. And so leadership has to be there to create the safety nets, to make sure that a failure is not fatal and it never goes Zillow. Like it shouldn't go public. Mm-hmm. Peloton was the same thing. How in the heck did somebody, you know, at a newspaper figure this out? How did that get out? <laughs> that you were cutting production. You were shutting down production lines. How did that get leaked? And how did you let it get to that point in the first place? You know, so you look at failures of leadership and that's why, Startups feel so different from bigger businesses. They're not. Everyone learns the same types of lessons until they integrate data more intelligently. Until you start doing more of the predictive where you model what's probably going to happen and you are monitoring closely so that failures are found immediately. You know, maybe a week or two weeks after they become sort of apparent in the data and you can quickly pivot because you have information, you have predictive models that are going to help you say, okay, so that was option A, here's option B, here's option C, and here's option D. And we think this is what's going to happen. 
if we do each one of these three options. You know, and until you get to that sort of rigor with your strategy planning process and with your adaptability, your innovation frameworks and all of this other stuff that goes into the higher level strategy, until you get to that point, you know, it's really up to leadership. You got leadership holding it together, making sure that the failures that happen stay internal. No one knows about it and they don't really have any sort of business impact. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, this name is keep coming up in my mind. Are you a fan of Naval Ravikant? No. Or you don't Not like even him? a little. No. Really? Why? I, you know, I love that he inspires people. I love that he has brought people up, that he lifts people up that he gives people the sense of empowerment. I love that he does that. But there's this whole group that looks at his teachings and writings and says, that's all there is. And I wish he would advertise, look, this is the front door. That's it. <laughs> that's you're, it. You're, 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 you're killing one of my heroes here, man. But he's oh. not, I'm not killing him. I just wish he would tell people that in a clearer way. But if he does, it kills his brand, it kills his business. So I understand why he doesn't do that. But I wish there was some way to teach people that the inspirational, happy, you know, sort of revelation type things that happen before you go from a tactical mindset to a strategic mindset, because you have to realize there is something different. You can do something different. You can look at things differently. You know, yeah. when he says stuff like, no one will value you as much as you value yourself. He is taking you from a tactical way of thinking to a strategic way of thinking. Yeah. But we don't do enough to reveal, you know, the the mechanisms behind the curtain. So it's kind of like a secret. You remember that book, The Secret? Yeah, exactly. That's what like it just, is. Just That's what all of these are. Okay, so... I, that, I call that inspiration porn. I, I, I'm, yeah, that's, that's only, what it is. I, I, this is inflammatory to say. I feel like only losers need inspiration porn. I don't need that. What I think is interesting about um, him, the two two things that are coming to mind. So one he said is like, you don't want to put all your money on black, which is what you're talking about in terms of like, because mm -hmm. the, then you're all in and it's either success or failure. But if you put in mm -hmm. you know, a portion of that, you can iterate and, and, and pivot forward, which has actually been really useful for me and has informed kind of how I'm approaching this. And then also too, from the education front, he, he, he coined this term specific knowledge, which I think is really mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Uh, but he's getting but, you thinking. These are yeah. tidbits. These are sparks. And this is uh, Rita McGrath Gunther, or Rita Gunther McGrath does these you know, innovation sparks and thought mm -hmm. sparks. But she advertises it nicely. And she says, here, I'm going to get you thinking. Right. And that's what she does. She says, look, come tune in. Uh, you know, it's across all these different platforms. And she says, I'm going to spark your thinking. And she advertises. This is the front door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is where it starts, not where it ends. I want to spark your thinking. I want to change the way you think. I want to give you the insights that I have that allow me to do what I do. And that's a lot of, you know, I follow her greatly. That's a lot of what I want to do is I want to give people, what especially on podcasts like this, uh, Reader Gunther McGrath. Oh man. How, re, re, how do you, were Rita you? Gunther, um, yeah, no, I'll, if you Google um, seeing around corners, that's her latest book. Seeing around corners. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, because I'm all into like, oh, cool. Yeah, she is the one who basically, you know, when I said there's a hard line between legacy strategy and modern strategy. Yeah, she saw it. I think she was the first one who did and drew the hard line. Her original book, 
uh, end of competitive advantage. It, it, that's the hard line where she basically went slap. Legacy strategy is everything before this book. Everything that's coming next is modern strategy. And here's how you do it. And that was, you know, that's where I say the hard line came from. And I, there are a lot of other people that I would recommend to follow. I just use her because she's so specific to this sort of niche of what technology did to strategy. But there is, there are two sort of sides to inspiration. And the one is, and this is what Naval does, is he hits you again and again and again and again and again until you finally change your mindset. But people then hold on to the front door and don't realize that, you know, uh, inspiration without execution is the slowest path to victory. It's painful. You know, they Wait, say that about strategy. How, how, can, how can you get to victory if you don't execute? That's the thing. And that's what Naval is selling you is inspiration. He is not selling you execution. Yeah. So I, I wasn't so much inspired by Naval as much as like he, the whole concept. Well, I think that I'm an, like, I, I took his concept of specific knowledge and then was like, oh, that's what's wrong with college. And then I went on and got on the board, created a minor program where I actually changed that problem and then created right, but you're, a, what you've got the expertise to do that. Yeah. Right. That's right. the difference. You've got the expertise to do that. Yeah. And so you can take his sparks, his beginnings, and you can move them forward. I wish you would advertise that there was that second step. You yeah. have to then move them forward. Because many people are sort of stuck with the secret mentality where if I visualize it, it shall happen. It will manifest. It doesn't yes. work that way. <laughs> you, well, you create a strategy and then you must execute. See, that's, that's what's and tough. That's what's tough advertise advice. That. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't advertise that. Right, are you a fan of Succession, the TV show? I haven't watched that one yet. I need okay. to get into it, but I just haven't had time. So there's a podcast where they break down the episode and then like bring like, I don't know, they broke like Mark Cuban. And then like, mm -hmm. I don't know, different people that were in kind of this like Manhattan big business world. Um, they brought Adam Grant on, who is a psycho, like a very famous psychologist. Yep. And yeah, he was talking right. about like the, the female protagonist and how she has to navigate the business world differently. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and it made me realize like listening to that podcast episode that like my advice is good for people like me, for men. Mm -hmm. But if a woman takes the exact same tactic that I would say, yeah, just be bold and put your foot down, she's yeah, going to come no, off as bossy. Work. Yeah. Yep. And then, oh, yeah, and it's going to be off-putting to where it is it is interesting when you're, like, kind of broadcasting messages out. Like, it, it, if you're overly nuanced, it's going to be boring as hell. Well, I'll say something and then caveat it and caveat and caveat mm -hmm. it to where it's like mm -hmm. that. That's a bit of a struggle, but I, it I, is. it's the creator's dilemma. I call yeah. this the creator's dilemma because you have people, you have what people want to hear and what they want to hear. They will engage with and like, and you have yeah. what people need to hear, which is contradictory and will challenge them and explain the complexity of the thing that they're about to take and take on. And you hit effort discounting because, you know, when you say the reward, when you say here is the inspiration and they naturally see the end and they're like, oh, it's so easy. I have inspiration now. There's no effort discounting. And so they just take the inspiration and they expect it to happen. And then it doesn't. And this disappointment cycle begins to burn people out. It begins to make them not trust. It begins to do some really terrible negative things to yeah. people. And if you give them, and here's all the work, 
they begin the process of effort discounting because they look at that reward and they say, okay, that all sounds like a horrible amount of work. And I look at that reward differently now because I don't want to put it, that, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do it that way. And so if I am sitting there telling people, this is what you have to do and this is how it's going to work. And I'm sitting next to someone who's just saying, here's some inspiration. This is all you need. You know, here, like my quote of the day and my, you know, my insight and my inspiration and my spark. If I sit next to that, I lose every day. But the people who listen to the deeper, the more complex, the people who can avoid effort discounting and who can shift from a tactical mindset to a strategic mindset, which is what Naval's trying to do. He's yeah. trying to get people to the point where they can read content like mine and get it. That's what he's trying to do. But I don't like the fact that there's no advertisement of the execution. And so you have, you know, people sitting next to each other on LinkedIn who are influencers and you can't get traction when you start talking about execution. It is. I've, I've had to let go. I've had to do some personal work because I, I've interviewed so many people on this podcast and they're like 10 X the reach that I'm, mm -hmm. I am now, but they're not going as deep as I am Yep. to where like, I have a very, I have a, I mean, it's not tiny. It's 13,000 followers on LinkedIn or um, yeah. 10,000 on LinkedIn and, and 13,000 on YouTube. So it's not tiny, but mm -hmm. these people are like actually listening to an hour and a half lecture and yeah. they're doing the engaged. work and they're, engaged. Yeah, and they're doing it yep. um, to where I think a lot of that is a vanity metric. But also, too, I wanted to ask you this question. Um, so I took a, like one of those big five personality tests, and I am like 98th percentile in industriousness. Okay. I, I think that um, I'm wondering if like the message wouldn't if you're not if you're not industrious, if it's just not if it's just going to land flat. Well, I mean, with what margin of error? You know, we talk about surveys and we talk about these, these yeah. tests, but we don't talk about them as data scientists. And the majority of personality tests have been debunked by research yeah. as pretty much useless. And so you're going to answer the questions towards what you feel your strengths are at a very well, okay. deep level. And so you're getting a result based on really what you emphasize, not what you are actually capable of, not what you will actually enjoy. And that's what a lot of the research will tell you is that you are going to get the result that aligns with whatever your area of focus is now. And that's not really informative. You already know that you're hardworking. What a useful test would do, you know, and if we were data scientists designing this using a more rigorous research methodology is to give you some sort of insight about yourself that you didn't already know to reveal some things about yourself that mm. you may not be leveraging some strength. I'm going to push back on that have. a All little right. bit of, I think that especially, so we're targeting people with the apprenticeship program who are going from another industry into um, analytics. I think giving them something tangible to frame up their personal narrative is useful. It could be. Yeah. So I'm, I'm using it as a conversational tool. So yeah, like, I'm, yeah, like I'm, I am 99th percentile in extroversion and mm -hmm. I actually have to talk to think things out. So it's a natural fit that I would become a podcaster. So it's, you're using it as like little conversational blocks to be able to, to craft the, a message to, well, tell me about yourself. 
So I'm, I'm kind of fitting it into a framework, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I look at it as why wouldn't we use a better tool? Why not design a better tool? Do you have any reference? I'm open to if you have any recommendations on that. Well, and that's where I'm going with this is let's design better tools because okay. we don't. The research tells us the tools that we have are bad. And I talk about this a lot in hiring. The two, you know, the research tells yeah. us that the tools we have are bad because we focus on short-term metrics. We short focus right. on short-term measures of success. But if you hire strategically, <laughs> you can use data to understand exactly what you need today because you have to hire for the short term. If you don't finish the project that's due in six months, it doesn't matter what you do in two years. You, you might not have a company. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have to execute in the short term, mm -hmm. but you also have to have a company in two years. And if you aren't hiring people and taking intelligent risks on people who develop into your superstars in two years and four years and five years, then you are surviving six months to die two years later. And so there is an importance of creating new frameworks mm -hmm. for hiring. And when you talk about personality tests, let's look more at the causal features around how we make decisions, how we discount the effort. You know, and that's that term effort discounting. How do we decide to do the work? How, and, you know, neuroeconomics has the lofty goal of, truly trying to find the causal structures in the brain, which is way over my head, of <laughs> all of these things that we do, of what you're talking about, of choosing, because your ability to control your effort discounting is high. If you're able to work for a year on a project consistently, you are seeing a long-term goal and you are not discounting the effort happening in month and one and two not discounting the effort of no one's engaging, no one's buying your class, no one's doing all of these things. You know, you're not getting that instant. Well, it's instant like graf this, I have this drive to just create, and it, and it, it, it like pulls yeah. me. And it's it's like I have this energy, and it's just, it's going to be mm -hmm. thrown off anyway. Anyways, I might as well yeah. focus that in in a, in a direction. Um, and yeah, also, and I mean, I, I think it's socially, you want to understand. That's yeah. the part of your personality you want to understand. That's what you want to be testing in your students because right. that's what's made you successful. That's what you're creating the program around is for people like you. And that's the beta of every startup's product is the startup founders create the product for the problem that they probably had. And this is a lot of ML ops is we create yeah. tools for the problems we as data scientists hated and had to solve ourselves. And so we create a tool because we realized there's a bigger need within the marketplace. And this is where you start. And so the most effective personality test that you could do is the one that would help you understand how people will react to your content, will react to your curriculum, the way that you built this. Because you built this to be hyper-effective for people with that one, with that drive with that ability to work, to focus, to succeed. You know, you know what I see it as? And this is like, this is going to be totally like buzz sketchy. It's the antidote to the core life crisis. Yeah. It, and that's true. Yeah. You've yeah. designed it for that. Yeah. And that's really what you want to, you know, when we talk about target market, when we talk about fit, when we talk about brand, brand is how people, you know, feel every time they interact with your content. Brand is mm -hmm. how they feel when they walk away from that interaction. And so that's what you're building. You know, if you look at my brand, mine is for senior plus plus. They're people who have gotten to the about 10 to 15 year point in their data science, machine learning, analytics, technical career. And they're in sort of a similar spot. 
where they're like, okay, I got to go someplace else and no one knows what that is. So I got to figure this out myself, but I have to create my own opportunities. Now I have to create my own shots and there are multiple paths that they can take. I'm teaching the strategy path because that opens the most doors for people, Mm. but I'm also going to be teaching about leadership. I'm going to be teaching about a number of different ways that people at my point or the point that I was in when I transitioned into data science, how they can go from the point in their career that they were at or they are right now to that next piece. And I've created my content specifically for people who faced the same struggle that I did in 2010. Like what now? You know, and realizing your business has no clue. They don't have a career path for this. They're like, okay, so you're a hyper performer and you could do anything. What do you want to do? Oh yeah, we don't have that. You know, and so they have to create their own opportunity. So are you talking about um, kind of being like a data entrepreneur almost? And that's one path. Yeah. Starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur, whether that's a products business or a services business. Yeah. That's one path. And like I said, the reason why I teach strategy is because it's flexible. You True. Can go that direction. You can go leadership. Strategic leadership is one of the greatest sources of authority that you can have as a leader. And it'll take you all the way to the C-suite. And the data scientist strategist is that path right there is an emerging role that every single business needs. And so you can go in that direction as well and have a very successful career that also ends up in the C-suite or ends up running your own business. And so that's the, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurship, this is, you know, this generation is generation hustle. It's generation entrepreneur. And that's where so many people will end up is either in the C-suite of a company growing equity for themselves and for the business at the same time or building their own business. Yeah. I've, I've pretty much accepted that I'm, I'm unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't yes. do it. Yes. <laughs> like, what I used to, what? I had a, I had a nickname. I'll share this one. I don't share this one a lot, but I'll share this one this time. I had a nickname. It was career suicide. And the reason why they called me career suicide is because if you managed me, I was going to replace you. Oh, wow. No one. At one point, at near the end of my career, I reported directly to CTO because no one else would take me. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, what do you think? The person that, okay. that would take me is the one person who had no fear I would replace her. I was reporting directly to a CTO. What do it you was think? Amazing. What were your advantages? Why do you think you navigated it so well? Because I didn't, I, I, I had the Marshawn Lynch approach and I didn't realize it until Marshawn Lynch mean? articulated it beautifully in a CNN interview or not CNN, 60 minutes. He, he articulated it beautifully because the, the interviewer was trying to get him to come up with his deeper metaphor. And he said, you know, so what have you learned? You know, what's your mentality? Wait, that- How do you do this? You know? And so Marshawn Lynch just said, well, I just, run through a guy's face over <laughs> and over and over and over. And he said like, and over and over like 20 times and over and over and over again. Eventually, you know, a guy can't take that. And then I don't have to worry about him. And so, you know, the interviewer goes, do you think there's a deeper meaning in that? And he goes, yeah, run through an face and then you won't have to worry about him no more. I mean, that was... <laughs> That was my mentality. Like if I hit this problem again and again and again and again and again, I, I will succeed where other people won't because they can't handle that. Like yeah. if you fail 15 times, you give up. I don't care. Like fail 16. I don't care. I know where I'm going. 
And that's the strategic mindset is I look at that goal that's two years down the road, that's five years down the road. And I understand this obstacle right here is keeping me from that thing that I want. And, and oh, it's dead. I don't, I don't care what it is. I will run through it because it's in the way of this thing at the end of the road. And if you think about your life that way, you know, if you take the Navalnisms and you connect it to Marshawn Lynch, like that's the hybrid, that's the perfect mentality is I see it from a strategic standpoint and I 100% am willing to run through this thing. And the great thing about data science, that's like, this is why I fell in love with data science is because you can using data iterate faster so that I don't have to fail as many times before I figure it out. And that's really what I fell in love with data on is I got to understand why people make the decisions that they do, which I, I'm, I'm all about that. But at the same time, I don't have to fail as many times because I have this sort of oracle that gives me at least a good starting point and then a way to do a postmortem and understand why did I fail? So that the next time I'm not just running through this thing exactly the same way and through brute force and sheer determination. Now there's some intelligence behind it. Now there's some actionable information behind it. Like when I evaluate engagement metrics on LinkedIn, or when I look at the way that my students are performing, how fast are they progressing through my class? What sections are they going through multiple times? Those are probably places where there's confusion. Mm -hmm. Who's struggling the most? Because that's the person I need to reach out from, reach out to. They can teach me the most about right, how to right. improve my class. You know, it's just real simple data that I can go through and talk directly to two people. You know, and I did this a couple of years, three weeks ago now, but yeah, I talked to two people who'd taken my strategy for data scientists class. And I said, you know, I see you struggling and iterating what's wrong. And now I have like four videos to reshoot yeah. and because they had the expert information I needed because they were experiencing the most pain. They were willing to share their feedback with me and allowed me to fix it. You know, and data is beautiful because it does stuff like that for you. So yeah, yeah that's instead like, of pulling everybody and trying to take an average, I just pull the two smartest people for the particular yeah. problem, and I immediately learn. Well, it's, it's that new modern strategy where you can go yeah. in, and it's it's almost like you're flipping. Instead of this is a problem, this is an opportunity for growth. Yeah, exactly. Or shoring up, or yeah, yep. um, it, it that is a that, that was a powerful kind of reframe in my mind. It's like there is no losing. There is just winning and learning. Yeah. And it's really the ability to improve. Like if you, yeah, you can learn and then give up. And that's what I see a lot of people do is they learn and that learning discourages them because yeah. they feel like they don't have a way to grow. There is no better for them. They are as smart now as they will ever be. But if you adapt more of a growth mindset, you look at the problem and say, okay, I will face this problem again. And I will face it with a greater capability because I failed this time. I am now smarter. I you have more information. You have mental models too. I yeah. feel like I've, de I've developed a whole repertoire of different mental, mo mental models over the last yeah. seven years. And think about how this is data science. This is a machine learning workflow. This is, yeah. this is it. You know, when you talk about what we're doing, we used to have to use heuristics. That was all we used to have was we looked at the information that was given to us and we made the best guess we could. We measured the outcomes that we could, which were always short term. And we fixed what we could as fast as we could 
and it was ugly. It was imperfect. It was painful more times than not to make any sort of progress. We had to relearn the same lesson over and over again because we didn't understand. It, you know, it just looked a little different. We didn't understand it was exactly the same as something that we'd figured out before. But now we have this tool. We have analytics and models. Analytics gets you started on that data-driven path, and models help you to now look forward and create mm -hmm. some sort of evidentiary support for what you are going to decide to do next as an individual, as a business. When you start looking at the majority of problems being a machine learning workflow, it shifts the way that it shifts your relationship with data. And not just as a business, but as an individual, because you with access to data as an individual can optimize your life and that's the crazy thing is we as data scientists look at it as, oh, this only works, you know, for somebody else. But then when you realize that like the power for you is tremendous, the amount of benefit that you can gather from just starting to accumulate data about how you lose weight, how you gain muscle, what are your optimal workouts that avoid injury? How does your diet profile change over time to optimize whatever it is that you want? You know, if you want Thor's abs, use data because that's yeah. how you get there. You know, don't use trial and error and heuristics. Use data. Well, okay. Everything. That's, it's an interesting point that you're, you're hitting on is I've started re-listening to um, James Clear's Atomic Habits while I'm working out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I think that that actually might be a really good analogy or there's a, the snippet that I have, like I just listened to this week, uh, the difference between tactics and strategies. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to quit smoking, mm -hmm. seeing a cigarette and deciding not to smoke it is a tactic, but mm -hmm. identifying as a non-smoker is the strategy. Yep. And, and I, th I thought that was so fascinating of just, you have an identity shift and then it, mm -hmm. you shift the identity and then the behavioral patterns and habits form around that. And this is business transformation one-on-one. Microsoft went from a software company to a cloud company. It did not identify as a software company anymore. Satya Nadella, mm -hmm. by running the cloud division, basically said, no, we are now a cloud company. We're all in. This is what it is. There is no yesterday. You can't turn around. I'm burning the ships. We are a cloud company. And now in his role as CEO, we're an AI first company. I burnt that ship. Yes, we are still making money using cloud, but if we continue to look like a cloud company, we will fail. Success will defeat us because we will still be dependent on a business model that leverages competitive advantages we no longer have that, that will not work. And so we must become an AI first company. Yes, we have a cloud business unit, but revenue is going to come from this other thing. And that's the exact same thing. You transition a company that way. That's how you go from a startup to an established small business is you stop being a startup. You start being a business. And I had to do this. I think I, I'm I right, didn't realize I'm right on the cusp of that. And yep. I feel like the, so you this make is a decision, huh? That's a tough <laughs> decision, isn't it? Well, it's just weird. Well, okay. What I'm laughing at is that I feel like I have chapter headings for each like mm -hmm. phases of my life. And it, it's not like a three month period. It might be a two week period, mm -hmm. but the chapter yeah. heading right now is corporate structures. So yep. I'm like thinking like, how can I structure this 
in a way that creates sustainable income instead of uh, what? Why? I, Don't how? Stop how? Why? Why? Why are you restructuring? Why? Because I'm doing everything on my own right now. Uh, okay, good. Yes, and you can't, right? You can't scale. Right. So right. scale. You need I'm to, scale. to scale. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. That's the why. Yeah. I mean, that, that's scale. Yeah, that, that's the. Yes. Um, that's well, because I've realized that um, back, actually getting back to that point you were making about Microsoft and switching, mm-hmm. I'm identifying, I used to identify social analytics as a consulting firm. I think it's now an analytics education firm. Could be. Yeah, could be. Because it's scalable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Because it scales. Like yeah. It. yeah. No, but um, you feel the power of strategy. Like it informs yeah. decisions. That's the power of strategy. It's the power of data too. That's why the two, you know, there's so many business concepts that are, you replace the word, the business word with data or with model inference and the sentence still makes sense. And so you're looking at you making the transition to understanding that the main driver for your decision-making is the goal of being able to scale past where you are. You haven't gotten to the point where you say, okay, well, how would I create this to be optimized? How would I optimize this from day one so that I'm not optimizing for tomorrow's scale? I am optimizing for five years down the road's scale. When you look at data science and the way the companies have adopted analytics and data science, they've adopted analytics for that sales dashboard, which is how am I going to use this in six months? When I come in, I usually have to disassemble all that because that was not optimized for the goals that they have now. And so if a business starts out saying, we're going to adopt data science, we made that decision. We are a we are an AI first company. Now, how would we do this the best way possible? How would we optimize for free cash flow if that's the goal? How would we optimize for rate of scale? How would we optimize for the highest ceiling, the highest possible scale growth to like, you know, Facebook, think about it. What is Facebook's market? Everyone on earth with an internet connection. You know, that is optimal mm-hmm. ceiling for scaling. And they've developed their business around that. Everything is designed to make it as cheap as possible to onboard a user. It should not cost me a dime as Facebook, Mm -hmm. because that would be a barrier to scale, right? Any of that process that wasn't automated, anything that a person had to get involved with would be a barrier to scale. Think about Amazon pricing. They have millions of products and millions and millions and millions of products. If making a pricing decision had to be done manually, it would be a barrier to scale. Right. And so you think about all these things that companies do to optimize and to maximize if you start there. How powerful would that be? Not maximizing scale over six months, but maximizing scale over five years. Because if you look at what Bezos did and the way he invested in growth, Amazon for a very long, much longer than it had to, was investing so much that it was barely profitable. But investors saw his vision. They realized he was optimizing for what's happening right now. And you see the power of that sort of dominant strategy thinking. Man, and you, just, using you just gave just, me a Devolve, RaviConf inspiration moment. Yeah. I, I really, you I think see I'm, how there's like, I think I'm there's there like real right steps. Now. 
Yeah. yeah, there's real steps behind it though. You know, and that's the that's the power of combining your strategy and implementation because you're now thinking yeah. about this is what I would do. You know, because I gave you the cool like realization, I gave you the novelism of and I'm doing this to sell my class. You know, that's this is exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. Like, here's Naval, take my class. Yeah. You know, so that's the that's the the piece I also wish the we class link together. is in the description of the YouTube and LinkedIn videos if you guys want to go check Thank it out. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Well I feel like this has been like a data science therapy session for me. <laughs> you know that's what it it really is once you start looking long term, you begin to sort of unburden yourself. And that's the power of this kind of mindset shift is yeah. you begin to leave the unnecessary stuff behind. Yeah. I, I do feel like over the last three months, the, the chaos has maintained the same level, but mm -hmm. my, my oh, yeah. like internal noise has gone down mm -hmm. and I'm, it's like, it's weird. Cause it's like, things are coming at me and they, they just aren't landing like they would. I mean, there was a period of three, three years ago where like, I mean, I, I lost two clients and I was like in like this pain. I mean, it was like a whole month of just me mm -hmm. in like free fall. I felt like, yeah. Oh yeah. And I That'll was just, again. well, it's, it's just the, uh, the timeline got super condensed to where it's like, I need to fix this now. I have cash yep. flow issues now, um, to where hard this to be is strategic when you got to eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich. You know, it's, it's real hard to be strategic when you got rent due. Well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get back to that point because I don't think like getting back to that. I'm not going to put it all on black. Mm -hmm. I'm, I I have enough of a momentum. I have enough momentum. Now, granted, there could be some some external force that wipes me out. I mean, yeah. that's always and a possibility. I want to just let you know it will. It, it's what? coming. Well, it's just going to wipe me out. Oh, yeah. Your next downturn. It's coming. Coming fast. Yeah. And that's the thing is you're going to, as you grow, face increasing competition. Right now mm -hmm. you are succeeding sort of unintentionally because you don't have other big players that are turning on you and saying, okay, I see the opportunity you do and I'm going to leverage that same opportunity to grow my business, which is much larger, can invest much heavier than you can. And mm -hmm. I'm going to now compete head to head with you. And for me, that realization happened when I started running into big five consulting companies and they looked at the space that I was in and said, oh, wow, that's really lucrative. Mine. And so <laughs> I had to go 12, you know, 12 ugly rounds with some very large consulting firms. And I, I learned a lot of hard lessons when you compete intentionally with companies that large, like it gets real fast. You know, the Ferris Bueller life comes at you pretty fast. Yeah, it really does yeah. <laughs> when you're competing with massive companies and that's your next, you know, that's going to be the next crisis for you is when you get hit by somebody you were not ready for. You know, if you think about bigger companies that are all of a sudden competing with Google, Google just shows up one day and says, yeah, I do that. And they have to figure it out. You know, Walmart had to figure out Amazon. Wait, Amazon, wait, what? What do you mean they're taking what, what a lot of it? Wait, we're losing, wait, whoa, hold on. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the life comes at you pretty fast. And that's what all of us face in business, in education, in anything is that the you don't think it's going to happen again. You think I'm in a great place now. That thing that happened to me before, oh, it can't happen again. And then it does. And you have to be just as resilient, 
And you have to rely on all the things you learned that first time to adapt and respond. But when you start thinking strategically, start thinking, remember those weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? What threats do those weaknesses create? How do you use data to find your weaknesses? How do you use data to identify the threats created by those weaknesses? How do you use data to decide how to mitigate those threats? How do you, you know, competitive intelligence, who's coming after you soon? Who are you competing with that you don't know you're competing with right now? Interesting. You know, and that's the, that is when you look at it from a one-year perspective or a six-month perspective, you don't think about those things. But as businesses grow, as they get larger, as data science becomes more relevant, as businesses become more reliant on data science for revenue and for cost savings and to see around corners, to see threats coming and opportunities coming, you begin to have a longer term view because you have the luxury of it. You know, data is saving you today. The revenue streams that you have today are saving you and funding growth, but it has to be efficient growth. You have to find ways using data science to position yourself as a group as being more efficient at generating growth and at protecting margins. And that's the challenge. It's interesting because I'm like, you have the impulse to be like, no, I have com- like I have barriers of competition. Um, but I think you're, I'll mull that over in my head. Yeah, but I mean, if Stanford decided to do what you do tomorrow, how would you fight them? If Coursera uh, or edX, they're really they're really not a threat to me in my local Greensboro market. I don't think well, so. What if they, oh they could come in? What if they uh, decide they don't have the relationships. that's a growth? How fast do you think Stanford could build a relationship? Hi, my name's Stanford. Maybe. Okay, so I went through my MBA program, and it was. Uh, I, I did my capstone course with Haynes brand, which was cool because it was a name mm-hmm. brand company, but it was a yep. professor who just handed us off to someone there to where I mm-hmm. have relationships with these companies and I know specifically what they need. And I'm getting into a position of advisor for them and then pairing them with getting them essentially free analytics work. Yeah. But I mean, what if I said, I, you know, hi, my name is Ryan. I'm from Stanford. Um, I can do exactly the same thing and I can do it for less because I have economies of scale. So I'm going to What do you mean there is no only, less? They're not paying for it. No, I mean, I can do this for less. I can give you okay. some sort of incentivization. I can do this for less. Believe me, just because you're not charging them doesn't mean that you are not monetizing them. And they understand that. So what if I could do this for less? What if I could do a different type of monetization with Potentially, you? Potentially. I mean, I, I do think that the um, the higher education space is trying to get into where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, think about the threat of that. And maybe you do. Maybe you do have yeah, a competitive have. advantage. Maybe you do have a legitimate barrier to entry. But you have to scenario plan like that. You have to think about yeah, what happens yeah. if Stanford shows up tomorrow and starts talking to the same people that I've built a relationship with and says, hi, my name is Ryan from Stanford, and I am going to bring the Stanford name. I'm going to bring the Stanford seal of excellence, and I'm going to make it cheaper on you. Yeah. You know, because like I said, I know it's free, but Facebook is too, and they have competitors. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but they, you know, and it's funny though, because the, uh, I feel like I marvel at my own brilliance for shorter mm-hmm. and shorter periods of time yep. as I get deeper yep. into this. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> to where I'm like, Me too. I figured out a solution where 360 degree, everyone benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there is, because well, I'm still in, in a beta phase right now. I'm still beta testing yeah. this. So 
Um, and people are going to look for growth. And that's the thing yeah. is a lot of small businesses are about to compete with bigger businesses, maybe midsize, you know, mm-hmm. to larger companies. You know, Stanford's probably not showing up next week. But I'm using it as an example to say that you have to look, you really have to grab data, figure out who in the same industry is looking for growth, who can use their capabilities to jump into your industry can kind of move across industries with capabilities to begin to compete with you. Could Google do that? Yeah, definitely. They have a university, they have a, a, well, they're a name. trying with that certification. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you are competing in one way, shape or form with Google and they are going yeah. to become more aggressive as they find more ways to monetize this. Mm-hmm. They're going to become more aggressive. Are they going to put you out of business? I don't know. You know, and that's the scenario plan. What would you do? How yes. would you how would you adapt? How would you survive that? Uh, yeah, and that's I what fairly confident I could pivot into a different direction. Well, um, that's the blue ocean. You know, okay, so Google, you want this? Yours. Why don't you just buy it from me? That's a strategy. So yeah. when they come knocking, have something that's so well developed, it's cheaper for them to buy it than to build it themselves. You can hand it off. That's what I did with my first business. And you can think about this more strategically. And that's, like I said, that's why I treat strategy is because it changes the way, it changes your relationship with your business, with your career, with data. I mean, it changes the relationship that you have with pretty much everything that we do as data scientists. It's, it's interesting. I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface of this to where yeah. I am no longer in survival mode and I'm like mm-hmm. bumping up to, all right, well, actually in this place where it's like, I get to wake up when I want, I get to work on what I want with who I want, when I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, I'm like, actually, uh, what, do, what, do you, what would you call that? I'm like manifesting that whole secret <laughs> thing, you know, <laughs> right now. And it's funny because you know what, you know what really bumped me out is that I still want things. It's just the wanting does not, yeah. did not go away. <laughs> no, it never will. <laughs> yeah. I thought I could, who, who, didn't you say that there's, there's some people who will learn something and then immediately like get complacent and then. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm just not that person. It's like, there's something there that's, <laughs> I want more. Uh, in fact, I would yeah. say my ambition has grown with my level, level of success. That's why I'm saying the next threat, because you have more now. Yeah. And so, you know, what it would take for you to be happy when you went through your first crisis is probably going to be about a hundredth of what it would take to make you happy when you go through this one, what's coming yeah. from and so that's the problem. I think I'm up for the challenge, though. <laughs> you come on a good day. <laughs> everyone is. Everyone is. Everyone's up for the challenge. It's that decision. Because you're looking at your long-term goals and you're deciding, I'm going to do this. And then you solve one problem at a time. You break yeah. it down. One problem at a time. You solve enough problems, your business stays up. You don't solve enough problems, uh, time to get a job. That's... <laughs> Okay. And I know a lot of people who've started businesses who yeah, they had to go get a job, but it's not, there's no shame in that. You get to start up again. You yeah. Know, once been, you get back up. I've been working out of this co-working space in downtown Greensboro and it's fascinating seeing the um, turnover. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's like every year there's a fresh crop of like bright eyed, bushy tailed young entrepreneurs. And then I get to see, I get to see their mental health deteriorate over six months <laughs> to a year. <laughs> it's, it's it's terrible, but they, I mean, they had the, this like idea and they're so in love with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that's the problem. You got to pivot quick. Yeah. Move. 
Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I've been t- we've, we've almost been talking for two hours. I didn't know oh, it was yeah. going to run this. Been long. a while. Yeah. But I, I was supposed to, I really enjoy your company. I like uh, you've got an interesting perspective, and I, I'm I want to know. I'm hungry to learn more about. And I feel like, unfortunately, well, the people who are in the data science space, I think would would kind of are really interested in this. I'm I'm afraid that, like the main kind of people trying to get their first analytics job is yeah. on like it's a little, yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> I mean, if I could give, if everyone that was at that stage could take this mindset forward and treat themselves like a CEO, even when you're in education, even when you're freshman in college, if you could treat yourself like a CEO, build a strategy, figure out mm-hmm. what your long-term goals are, figure out how you're going to get there, how you are going to first begin to monetize that that initial big idea, your business model. And then where you are, scale. I mean, that's the next thing. Now that I got something, I need to scale it. And then you got to mm-hmm. protect it. And then, you know, and so it's this, what do I have to do? One problem at a time. And if you could start that, if I'd have been this smart when I was 20, that first business would have done a whole lot better. And, yeah. you know, in 20 years, I'm going to look back at this and say, man, if I had just been this smart, <laughs> and it's really, it's just evolution. You know, you always start yeah. out feeling like an idiot. But it's strategy that gets you through that. And that, that's what got me through it and gets me through all the times where I feel like, wow, I'm failing at this hard, but there's a reason and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to get better. So if I could teach, like, I wish people at the very beginning of their career understood the power of these concepts. I wish I had. Yeah. I was too hard headed. I wouldn't yeah, listen. We all I wouldn't are. listen. Yeah, I wouldn't listen. We all are. I was, it's funny because I'm in academia. I was a terrible student up until grad school. <laughs> That's the truth. I was just like, I was just interested in other things, you know? And then, and then it was like, oh, you need to sit still and look at this board. Uh, yeah, it just didn't, it didn't grasp me, you know? I'm looking down because, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, I'm going to hop off, but this was an amazing right. conversation and I, I wish you luck. So it sounds like you've got Thank you. quite a bit on the on the burners there. Oh, let's hope so. Let's hope it stays this way. Because <laughs> it's one thread away. It always is. That's true. All right. Well, I'll see you. Take care of yourself. Bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.